Welcome to the Doxology Podcast. My name is Lucas Stock, and with me as always is... Jensen Nelson, the Great. This is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Join us as we explore, discuss, and grow as followers of Christ. On today's Christians of History episode, we have a pretty exciting one. Um, At least, I guess they're all exciting in their own way, of course, but I think this is a pretty cool guy to sort of talk about really in any context almost um lots to lots to talk about that we won't have time to get to but um we are definitely excited to be able to give sort of a introductory bio sketch of the one the only martin luther so jens why don't you take us away yeah kind of as you alluded to you know um this is a i think a a good time to do luther seeing as though you know we've talked about the pope we talked about Mary. So we talked about Catholicism quite a bit the last couple of episodes here. Uh, so now, now we're Luther get- thought Mary was a virgin, by the way, perpetually. Yeah, I think I read that. Pretty and, much all the reformers did. Yeah. I don't know. And that's kind of fascinating to me. And that's it. So that's the thing is like Luther was Catholic. A lot of the reformers were Catholic. Like that's what they, like a lot of them grew up in that culture. But then as reformers, as you can see, you can't, listener, you can't see, but Lucas, you can see my beautiful uh, reformers shirt. It's sort of a play on the Ramones, uh, the Ramones logo. We got, we got Kelvin, we got Luther, um, Wycliffe, and Knox. So, you know, some of those, uh, some of those reform boys and, uh, (laughs) you know, they were all Catholic. They didn't see themselves as, you know, separatist. They were wanting to. As we should all see ourselves. Right. As Catholics. Right, wanting to to change what they saw as error, and um, you know, it was more corrective than revolutionary. Um, so, yeah, we're talking about Luther, uh, as as you also alluded to. It's going to be a very brief sketch of his life. I mean, Luther was such a monster figure. I mean, there's an entire denomination named after him today. That um, you know, there, there's just so much that could be said here. So I really had to kind of like pick and choose what I thought was most pertinent and most you know, maybe interesting to the, to the listener, while also maybe bringing up stuff that you don't know. I don't know how many of our fans are Luther scholars, but um, hopefully today you learned something. So we'll, we'll jump right in. Uh, So Martin Luther was born November 10th, 1483. I got a couple friends with that birthday. So happy birthday, Sam. Happy birthday, you know, Brett Favre, I think maybe, I don't know. It is... There's some people there on November 10th. You're but, friends with Brett Favre? Uh, yeah, we're best friends. <laughs> no. Um, so, yeah, he was born in modern-day Germany. Uh, some scholars, some you know, um, people who wrote about Luther say that there's little that we actually know about his early life except what he was recollecting later in life. Um, and, you know, some of what he says even seems to be a little bit, like, romanticized and, you know, very flowery, very, uh, you know, perhaps uh, trying to, you know, make things sound a little better than they were, maybe. Um, But he was the son of a man named Hans, so Hans Luther, uh, who was a successful copper refiner. Uh, I don't know if you know any copper refiners today. Is that still lucrative, Lucas? I uh, I really, I really don't know. That's, that's a good question. I mean, pennies aren't very valuable. That's a good point. I don't mean, that's not really a point. I don't know. Maybe this was like (laughs) Apple of its day, you know, technology, but uh, so this mean this you know being wealthy meant that he was well educated as a kid, uh, well educated going into college. Uh, actually, he wasn't awarded any financial aid. Uh, neither was I. Um, but uh, 
this was actually a testament to how successful his father was. It was only the poor people who got the aid, which, um, come on, modern colleges, can we go back to that model? Hmm. Anyway, um, so less than, so he, he went to college, graduates from college, um, and less than six weeks after starting law school, so starting like a master's and, you know, beyond, uh, less than six weeks later, in 1505, uh, Luther abandoned the study of law and entered the monastery in Erfurt. Uh, and this was the Order of the Hermits of St. Augustine. Um, his explanation for this abrupt change of heart was that a violent thunderstorm near the village of Stadernheim um, had terrified him to such a degree that he vowed to become a monk if he survived. So, like, picture yourself in, like, you know, crazy lightning storm, uh, you, know, you know, this is probably before the days of, you know, obviously before cars, but I don't even know like what they would have had for transportation. He might have just been walking um, and he's like crying out to God, like, I'll be a monk, just spare my life. Uh, but his father was understandably angry with him for abandon uh, abandoning a prestigious and lucrative career in law in favor of the monastery, which, you know, I'm sure, you know, any any wealthy copper refiner would feel the same about their son joining in a religious matter. I mean, how could you stoop so low and give your life to such things when you could have money and be wealthy? I just, you know. It's so interesting to think about those, you know, from a different time, in a different culture, in a different context, you know, um, just the way the university system worked, you know, going into a monastery, like the forms are very different than like, things we're used to but you know i can think of conversations not, not a ton just because of the the circles that i have it isn't something that comes up a lot but you know people who go to bible college and you know have their like distant uncles on thanksgiving who are like asking what they want to do and it's like kind of a weird conversation because it's like a different set of priorities which you know it's it's whatever it just it is what it is but it's kind of interesting to think about that looking back in history yeah, for sure like imagining that sort of relation of, of, you know, Luther's dad hearing, Hey dad, I'm going to go be a monk. I don't know. Like it, 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 <laughs> can you imagine? it like feels foreign enough that I don't know what that's like, but then I can also kind of approximate like what sort of conversation that might have been, you well, know, even imagine an analysis. Someone told you they're going to be go become a monk. You'd be like, excuse me. <laughs> it might be, it might, it might be less like, Oh, you, you know, <laughs> why are you giving up your career? And more like, that's a thing that that's, people that still, still do. <laughs> <laughs> True. Um, well, so, I mean, I don't know how much people know about monk life, but it was pretty, you know, pretty like anonymous, pretty, um, you know, you, you stuck to stuck to your routines, um, you know, very religious, very, you know, devoted. Um, but Luther wouldn't really settle for that sort of thing. He, um, in, in 1507, he began to study um, theology at the university there in Erfurt. I, I'm, I always butch, butcher these foreign places, but I apologize. Um, so it's here that he transferred um, also to the Augustinian Monastery at Wittenberg in the fall of, of 1508. And he continued his studies at the university there. He did some lecturing. Pretty sure there's a story about like the time that he went to go do his first communion. Isn't that him? Um, where he he went to like say the mass, um, and just like that. couldn't do it, and like was really embarrassing. I think his even his dad had been there, and his dad was like, mm -hmm. "I'm already ashamed of you. Now I'm even more ashamed. You dragged me here and embarrassed <laughs> me." Um, so that's just some of his time there. But in this is where things really start to get interesting. This is probably what a lot of people know about. 
Um, but in 1516, Johann Tetzel, uh, a Dominican friar, was commissioned by the Pope to preach that the purchase of a letter of indulgence entailed the forgiveness of sins. Um, so uh, maybe in different terms, basically the Pope is com commissioning or hiring a guy to go preach at churches and say, if you buy this, uh, you will get uh, time off of purgatory and your friends might also get their time lessened if you continue to purchase these indulgences. Um, and so in a sense, you know, salvation is being purchased. It's literally being bought, not by Christ upon the cross, but, you know, with your um, little shekels. And isn't there like an old saying? Um, oh, yeah. There's, I, it's like Tetzel had a rhyme of like, no sooner does the coin in the coffer ring than a soul from purgatory springs or exactly. something. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I mean, this is indulgences and what was going on with Tetzel. And, and you know, this is a much more complicated issue than right. just... Oh, some guy just showed up and started selling people forgiveness of sins. Like, there's a much more complex layers of theology and practice that had developed in the medieval church. Right. Um, but, like, suffice it to say, Martin Luther wasn't a fan of yeah, that. Yeah, he's like, yeah, that's not okay. And to maybe even, like, help understand why the church would have been wanting to sell indulgences, uh, this was done for a big focus on uh, constructing St. Peter's Basilica. <laughs> you got to... You got to pay for it somewhere, um, and it's actually interesting. So as we'll, we'll we'll get to this, but one of Martin Luther's ninety five theses um, basically said, like Pope, you're like one of the richest dudes in the in the known world. Why don't you just pay for it instead of asking the poor people instead of like you know hoodwinking them? Um, but this basically because of what was going on, uh, this is where Luther drafted a set of propositions um, for the purpose of conducting an academic debate. You know, again, if we, I think we've said this before. He wasn't trying to start a revolution. He wasn't trying to overthrow the church. He was trying to have a, a civil debate amongst brothers and be like, what's the deal with these indulgences? Like, should we even be, you know, using these? Are they, are they biblical? So this was, this was going on at Wittenberg. Um, so he dispatched a copy of these 95 theses to Tetzel's superior, Archbishop Albert of Mainz, along with a request that Albert put a stop to this preaching, basically. He also sent a number of copies, you know, to his friends. Uh, but basically, this is where you, you might have seen a picture of him, like, hammering up some, um, you know, these theses on the door at the Church of Wittenberg. Um, that's basically, you know, the image that we have of, of this event. Um, and this is, you know, you know, you've maybe heard of the shot heard around the world for the American Revolution. Well, this was the, the shot heard around the world for the Protestant Reformation, um, this again, can't stress it enough. This wasn't them trying to start something new, but to truly reform, to change what they saw as error in the Catholic church. Um, and it's because of the Catholic church's resistance and their lack of willingness to comply that the Protestant reformation started getting traction and like branched away from the Catholic church. Um, but all of this was originally done in the hopes of, you know, rectifying of, of, of brotherly union, brotherly love. Um, and so from 1517 to 1520, uh, Luther lectured on the Psalms, on Hebrews, which was written by Apollos, of course, um, Romans and Galatians. 
uh, as he studied um, these portions of the Bible, he came to view the the use of terms like penance and righteousness by the Catholic Church in new ways. And so it, it's really interesting to really think of and conceive of what it would have been like to be Martin Luther, like to have been so thoroughly ingrained in Catholicism. You know, it's what you were raised in. You're an Augustinian monk. Um, you know, you're like learning all kinds of stuff. And you're also like bucking against the norms that have existed for a thousand years. And to to try to be like navigating these waters, I imagine it was, you know, a challenge. Uh, but he he became convinced that the church was corrupt in its theology and its practice, and that it had lost sight of what he saw as the se- um, as several of the central truths of Christianity. The most important for Luther was the doctrine of justification, which is God's act of declaring a sinner righteous. And this was obviously, you know, to Luther's point, you know, done by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. So he began to teach that salvation and redemption are the gift of God's grace attainable only through faith in Jesus as the Messiah. So you can't buy it. You can't earn it. You can't purchase indulgences. Um, He said this one and firm rock, which we call the doctrine of justification, is the chief article of the whole Christian doctrine, which comprehends the understanding of all godliness. So again, Luther is sort of like kicking back against all the norms. All the people in, in Germany are like, getting a little upset that Luther is causing such a stir. And so uh, basically Luther was called to appear uh, before, um, I'm going to say the Diet of Worms, uh, because, you know, Wittenberg, even though it's spelled with a W, it's, you know, German, so you say it with a V. Um, so Diet of Worms on April 17th, 1521. This is sort of like a, a council, a group. Um, they were going to, um, basically he was informed that he had been called to the meeting to acknowledge as his own, the books that had been published in his name and to basically repudiate them. Um, Luther was presented with copies of his writings laid out on the table and asked, basically, are these yours? Are are these your writings? Um, and if they were, do you stand by their contents? So Luther confirmed, I am in fact the author, uh, but he requested time to think about the answer to the second question. So the, the meeting adjourned for the night. And so he, he, he prayed, consulted friends, and the next day, this was his response regarding whether he would stand by the contents of his writings. He said, unless I am convinced by the testimony of the scriptures or by clear reason, for I do not trust either in the Pope or in councils, uh, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves. He said, I am bound by the scriptures that I have quoted and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything since it is neither safe nor right to do so against conscience. Here I stand. I can do no other. May God help me. Amen. And there's like a little bit of debate um, about exactly what was said towards the end there about the here I stand. I can do no other. Um, But basically like Luther was standing firm on his conviction. um, You know, these these things that he had begun to read and teach about the scriptures. Um, And so this is sort of like a, a, you know, for a lot of people who study this era, this was like a really powerful, you know, turning point. This was sort of like a, a, a fanning of the flame for this reformation. Um, and so that's, you know, those are like the big things in his life that led to what we now call, you know, Protestantism. Um, the, Luther's life wasn't, you know, like all of ours, there was, it wasn't perfect. He was plagued with a lot of controversy, not just because he was, you know, going against the norms of Catholicism, Um, but he was drawn into, um, you know, different controversies because he was especially in late, especially later in life, he was very short tempered, um, extremely dogmatic. He was very insecure. 
His tone became rough and shrill, whether in comments about the Anabaptists or the Pope or Jews. Uh, For instance, um, uh, his words were quite harsh. He said uh, that the Anabaptists should be hanged as seditionists. The Pope was the Antichrist and Jews should be expelled and their synagogues should be burned. Um, You know, these were not the kind words that, you know, maybe one would expect from a minister of the gospel, one who was so committed to scripture um, and, you know, the teachings that were sort of, you know, coming to light again. Um, And really none of the explanations that have been offered. And and some people have said his deteriorating health and chronic pain. Like some people think he had some sort of like irritable bowel syndrome uh, because he often said that flatulence was the best medicine against the devil, um, which is kind of like a a funny saying. Um, You know, he also had an expectation of the imminent end of the world. So all of you people who are saying that COVID is the signs of the end of the age. Uh, for the last 500 years, people have been saying stuff like that. Luther thought he was living through it. Well, the last 2000, but... Well, I, true. <laughs> yeah, good point. Um, but also he had a deep disappointment over the failure of true religious reform. So none of these really seem satisfactory as to reasons why he would have been so angry. Um, you know, his, his severe anti-Semitism is, um, you know, one of those really dark blemishes on his legacy. Um, because he he wasn't always that way. For a while, he was trying to evangelize to the Jews. He was trying to uh, minister to them, and there was such a you know hardcore rejection to what he was teaching um, that it really turned him hostile towards them. Um, you know, so much so that he said that they should be expelled from Germany and their synagogues burned. And maybe not surprising, what happens like 400 years later in Germany? Um, there's an expelling of Jews and a burning of their properties and themselves in concentration camps and um, it's it's sort of interesting when you look at um, the holocaust and some of the justification which is ironic to use a word like that but some of the justification that the nazis used in their treatment of the jews was citing luther and some of the things that luther had to say um, which like when you think about that like this is why it's really important even today in 2020 what you say and where you say it is like you need to be like really careful because you're you have no idea how your words can be used and interpreted later. I mean, if Luther had only known, I mean, who knows what he would have actually thought? Hopefully, he would have been distraught at the thought of his words and how they were used by the Nazis. Um, but like, that's and I mean, it's not an one to one A to B. Well, right. You know, Luther to Nazis, but there is a chain of. There, there is a, a long and convoluted and sinful chain that that right that that part of Luther is a part of, and that's right. something that we as Christians need to wrestle with and, and grapple with and keep in mind when we are exalting our leaders or yeah. our, or our own words, like you're saying, especially where <clears throat> all our words are now recorded on social media or <laughs> podcasts right. or whatever. Um, you know whether it's big or small, like the impact of, of words is really significant. And um, thankfully the Lord is merciful to, yeah to us. And that's not an excuse for a, a glossing over of sins. Um, that's a, an acknowledgement <laughs> of our own, you know, humility and need for grace and, and whether or not Luther ever got his head on straight before, before glory about, the, his the way that his words towards others um you know really affected people <laughs> and would affect people um i i know that he certainly would be the first to confess himself a sinner yeah, and for in sure. need of that grace grace and, by faith alone yeah not by indulgences 
I mean, when you, when you when you really think about it, and you could say this about a lot of men, but Luther's legacy is nearly impossible to really calculate, to really think about the reach that he's had, both for Protestantism, um, you know, whether it's Baptist, Anglican, Lutheran, um, you're going to find some relation to Martin Luther. Um, his writings, he has a lot of writings, his, his catechisms that he wrote, his Bible translations, like even when you think about like Luther was really big on getting um, translations in what he called the vulgar tongue. That didn't mean it was supposed to be like crude and harsh, but the vulgar was like a synonym for common. Like when the when the Latin mass was done in Latin, uh, think about your average person. They're not going to know Latin. They can barely read themselves probably. So to have a Bible translation, translation in German... Um, he wrote hymns, many of which I, I believe are still lasting today. Didn't he write um, A Mighty Fortress is Our God? Yep. Um, so, you Ein Festerberg. Right. So, we, you know, we still sing his, um, mm-hmm. his hymns today. Uh, his impact on, you know, German religious life um, almost left him as sort of a prophet. Um, you know, Lutherans today exist because of what Luke, Luther did and what he taught. I mean, Luther's own contemporaries, you know, were instrumental, like Philip Melanchthon. I can I never know how to say his Melanchthon. Yeah, Melanchthon. Um, you know, was instrumental in writing the Augsburg Confession, I believe, and, and some of the other people mm-hmm. who would have been in so associated with him. Um, so like like I said, it's it's really hard to really get a read on and just how influential Luther really is. Um, and you you know, Lucas, as you alluded to, like this is this is part of why we do Christians of history. Like it's really cool to learn about the the you know the good things that people have done for our faith, the things that um, are, are honorable and noteworthy, but at the same time to call attention to the, the dark and the vile mm. sin that even exists in, in believers to this day. Um, you know, it's a testament, one, to the fact that we are still being sanctified. We are not perfect when we become Christians. We are not inerrant. Uh, we're mm. going to have flaws, inconsistencies, blind spots, um, regrettable, regrettable sin. Uh, but as as heinous and as great as our sin might be, um, his mercy is even greater. Yeah. Um, you know, a mighty fortress is our God. Um, he is immovable and shakable. Um, so that's, that's you know, in a really Amen. short nutshell, the life of a man who, I mean, we have a cast of his face and hands somewhere, which I did not know, but I thought that was fascinating. Apparently, like, when he died, wow. they took, like, a, a plaster or whatever impression of his face and his hands. Uh-huh. <laughs> and they're, they're in some that's church, amazing. like, in Germany. Wow. I, I've never heard that. I'd love to see that someday. Yeah. <laughs> Man. Wow. Well, thank you for doing that research and sharing um, on Martin Luther. And thank you, listeners, for tuning into this episode of the Doxology Podcast of our Christians of History series. Um, if you'd like to connect with us, please feel free to hit us up on Twitter or Instagram at Doxology Podcast or shoot us an email at doxologypodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your feedback, questions, ideas for future episodes or topics or Christians that you want us to cover in A Christians of History. Um, You can sign up for our newsletter for a weekly update on upcoming news, events, and episodes. You can check out uh, logos.com slash doxologypodcast for more information from our sponsor, Logos Bible Software. Um, We'd love to hear from you. We'd love for you to check out those resources and links. And until next time, see ya.